we're in the book of Acts. Turn there, please. We're starting at the top. Uh, Gary, Pastor Gary, wrote a truth statement for the book of Acts, which I so appreciate. So we'll put this on the screen here. It says, The church grows under the sovereign plan of God through the gospel of King Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit in Christ's witnesses, right? So this is what we're going to see in the book of Acts. We're going to see the church explode, okay? And this is by God's plan, right? The gospel of our King Jesus by the power of the Spirit through his witnesses. So verse 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. So you probably know already uh, that, that the book of Acts is written by Luke. He also wrote the gospel called Luke. Uh, and from verse 1, we realize that the gospel that he wrote is very much supposed to be connected with the book of Acts. So for, for quite a bit of time, it was really thought of as, as Luke-Acts together. Uh, it was treated as one unit, and then around, I think, 100 AD, uh, it was split up. In our Bibles, we go Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then Acts. Uh, we know Luke was a physician, right? We find that out um, by reading the, the letter to the Colossians. He was likely uh, well-educated, well-traveled, uh, loves details. We call Luke the historian. Um, in, in Luke chapter 1, we, we understand a little bit more about the great care that Luke, Luke took in writing these two books. It says this in verse 1, in as, uh, in as much... Uh, as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. All right, so Luke took the care to go find these eyewitnesses. He went to talk with them. So when this book is distributed, right, when, when Luke and Acts are going around church after church after church, it means that someone could have early on taken the effort to go hunt down some of those eyewitnesses for themselves, right? They could find out, like, was this really true? What Luke wrote about, did it really go down this way? Did Jesus really teach these things? The miracles, did Luke exaggerate those? Or is that, is that really what Christ did? Did you see Jesus crucified? Like, are you confident that he died? Did you really see the risen Lord? Like, were you one of the ones that was there to see him eat and drink? Do you know that he, in fact, is alive? Yeah, later in, in Acts, if you're paying attention, I think it's Acts 16, 10 or so, we realize that Luke isn't just writing about what he heard happened, but, but he says the word we, right? He's there. He's there with Paul. He's written to Theophilus and certainly, obviously, to the early church. Uh, Theophilus, the name, means something like dear to God or lover of God. And we just read in Luke 1 uh, that he he calls Theophilus most excellent Theophilus. Luke will do that uh, two times in Acts. He'll, he'll, um, he'll say most excellent Festus and most excellent uh, Felix. So it seems pretty safe to say that Theophilus uh, had some position in society. He's a big deal. There's speculation that he's a newer Christian, a Gentile convert. Um, he's probably uh, wealthy. So maybe Luke funded, or Theophilus funded Luke to travel and write and investigate so that he could, he could write this letter about Jesus and the early church. And clearly what Luke wants is for others to have confidence in what they've heard. He wants them to 
to have confidence in what they've been taught uh, and what they've come to believe uh, about Jesus. And, and maybe that's you today, uh, whether you're here with us or online. Maybe you're someone that you've heard some about Jesus or, or maybe lots. Like Maybe you've been in church for years and you've heard lots and lots about Jesus and you want to believe. Or maybe in the past few months or, or year, you've come to realize, no, I, I do believe, right? Even if there's plenty that you're not sure about, this is a really, really good book for you. The end of verse 1 says, all that uh, Jesus began to do and teach. So right off the top, Luke uh, gives us this important insight that we could miss, right? He's talking about volume 1, the, the gospel of Luke, and he says, all that Jesus began to do. We think of, or at least I so often think of what Jesus did as the four Gospels. But that's not so according to Luke. Jesus wasn't finished when the four Gospels ended. This book is often called the Acts of the Apostles, and we can certainly understand why that's the case. We'll read this account of these critical points in the early church, right? The spread of the gospel that began with this small number of Jesus' followers. And the story is pretty shocking, right? We're going to see in just a couple weeks that Peter preaches at Pentecost. 3,000 are added to the church that day, which is explosive growth. Like if that happened here, we'd be pretty blown away. But on the world stage, right, that, that wasn't even a blip on the radar yet. That was only the beginning of what would happen. And Luke is setting the table for us to recognize that Jesus is not done working. That Jesus would continue to work through the apostles by the power of the Spirit. That Jesus wasn't finished working at the end of the Gospels and he isn't done working today. Jesus continues to work. What Luke does early in the introduction here is he has us look back because there's some overlap from Luke and, 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 and Acts together. It's kind of like, um, like a TV show uh, or series that, that reminds you of what happened before. The only show that, that I watch that's like that is Survivor. So each week, Jeff Probst says, like, last week on Survivor, right? Erica won the fire building challenge and whatever happened. That's what Luke's doing here, verse 2. Until the day he was taken up, after he'd given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So over the 40 days uh, after, after his resurrection, Jesus appears and, and he shows them that, yes, he had in fact risen from the dead. He was alive. Luke says he, he does this by many proofs, meaning that um, these proofs, convinced them. It, it was decisive for them. It helped them to see, yes, Jesus is in fact alive. In Luke 24, he appears to the disciples. He, he's suddenly there. He says, peace to you. It freaks them out, which makes sense. And, and then they're thinking, okay, this is the spirit of Jesus. He says, look at me, right? The spirit of flesh and, and bones. Look at my body. Look at my hands. Look at my feet. But there's still some doubt in them. So then in, in 2441, he says, okay, do you have anything to eat? And they give him broiled fish. And then he says, okay, watch this, right? He eats this fish right in front of them. Why? Because spirits don't eat, right? He's providing proofs to them so that they would believe. It's critical that they knew what was true. It was critical that they knew that Jesus was alive today. It's critical that we know that. In uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 5, 
Paul uh, talks about these appearances. He says uh, he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and then to the apostles. So over the 40 days, Jesus appeared, not only showing that he was alive, but teaching his disciples specifically it says that he's teaching about the kingdom of God. And we, when we think of the kingdom of God, we need to think of God's rule and reign. Where, where God rules and reigns is where the kingdom of God is. And we'll get plenty of opportunities in the book of Acts to talk about the kingdom of God. And certainly Jesus had already taught about the kingdom of God. But their time after the resurrection was certainly unique. Right? He'd already taught them with authority that was unlike any other teacher, but now he had risen from the dead. Now he was coming and going from heaven as he pleased. The gospel writers uh, wrote things like he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Right? Man, what that must have been like. I'm sure, I'm sure you've experienced uh, something that you've read in the Bible dozens and dozens of times, but for some reason, the Holy Spirit, this time, right? you understand it. You notice what you haven't noticed before. Well, Jesus, I don't know if exactly that way, but Jesus was opening their minds time after time, making sure they understood everything that they needed to from the Scripture. I wonder what that was like for them. It must have been exhilarating. Right? Like, I'm, I'm sure that, that as, as God's opening their mind to these things, they're pumped. I mean, maybe high-fiving, maybe hugging each other, maybe not. Um, but, but I imagine even when Jesus wasn't with them, that they're pouring over the scriptures, right? Like, I just picture them in a room together, like, looking, looking on their own at scriptures. Here's, here's one guy looking, here's another guy looking, going, oh my goodness, he's right here in the Old Testament. They didn't call it the Old Testament. In the scriptures, like, can you believe it, right? It, it must have been absolutely incredible for them. I'm sure it was also exhausting, right? Their, their minds must have just been so brimming full. I, I bet at night they just crashed hard, just exhausted from all that they'd taken. And so no doubt that time, that 40 days was unlike any other time in history. So think about this with me. His closest disciples had been with Jesus for three years, right? They had a front row seat to his teaching. So when he taught something and they didn't understand, they could, I'm not saying they always did, but they could go and ask Jesus, like, what did you mean by that? I heard every word and didn't follow any of it, right? They could do that. There were times where he would teach a parable to the crowd, and then he would get with them and say, hey, did you understand no, he didn't. And he would, he would explain it to them, right? Three years of, of conversations, most of which obviously we don't even have recorded, right? It, just imagine like they, they could ask Jesus questions anytime they wanted, right? They, they heard questions from, from, from people in the town or, or rabbis or Pharisees. I'm sure there were times they were going, that is a great question. And, and then they would, they would hear Jesus perfect response, right? They had three years of that, right? Better than any like schooling that we could come up with. But in his wisdom, Jesus then did a 40-day intensive with them, right? Not only showing them that, that he had arisen, but teaching them about the kingdom. And, and I just think, man, if they needed three years plus this 40-day course with Jesus, 
I sure hope that I recognize, I hope that we recognize that showing up every Sunday, most Sundays, reading our Bible a lot or even, even just some, it doesn't cut it. Right? It's easy to settle for a Christianity that's anemic. I remember my freshman year of Bible college, second semester, sitting in one particular class on the first day, the prof was going over just kind of all the the first day stuff, right? We're going through the syllabus and grading policies and all that. And then when they were done, this guy on the back row raised his hand and said, what do I need to do to get a C? And we're all like, what? <laughs> like, That's not, you don't do that. <laughs> and, he, and he repeated it because it was like nobody understood. We said, what do I need to do to get a C? Is that how we approach, uh, approach this relationship with Jesus? Like, Jesus, how, how do I... How do I do just enough to get on your good side? Jesus, how do I do just enough to be assured that, that I'm saved, that I get to go to heaven? Just enough to, to follow you, Jesus, but still be kind of comfortable in life. We're going to see the early church, they didn't subscribe to that plan. Right? They weren't okay with the, the just enough plan. Their lives were centered on Jesus. The, the life of, of the church as a whole was centered on Jesus. The mission of the church was centered on Jesus. Now, off the top of my head, in Acts, when someone wasn't centered on Jesus, claiming to be a Christian, it, it doesn't go well. Following Jesus involves sacrifice. Right? There is suffering in following Christ. If comfort is one of our high priorities, then Christianity is not going to work out. The church needs to get used to being uncomfortable. We need Jesus to be the center of all we are, not just this add-on that can come and go as we please. Acts 1.4, he says, or it says, And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. He says to wait. The, this baptism by the Holy Spirit is coming. We'll get more into that later. But Luke then looks back to John's baptism. Right? John baptized with water, preparing God's people for the Messiah. It was this baptism of repentance of sin. Matthew 3, John, he says, uh, we can see that he knew the Messiah was coming. He says that the, the one that would come after him would baptize with spirit and with fire. And Jesus orders them to wait. And it wasn't going to be long, it was just going to be days, but he tells them to wait. Waiting's hard. Most Christians aren't that good at waiting. I'm not. Right? We might be good at, at not doing anything, but we're not good at waiting. We're more like microwaves than crockpots. Right? Think back through decisions you've made. Right? How often would it have been better for you to spend a month praying about this, or, or a week, or even a weekend praying waiting on the Lord, asking him for wisdom, asking him to tell you when to move forward, seeking his presence. So often, as soon as we're convinced that we know what God has for us, there's nothing that will stop us. Why would we wait? Verse 6, so when they'd come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Um, 
on our announcement video last week, uh, I talked about this book, and I think we have a, a picture of the inside of it. The book is called Acts, of Visual Guide. It's by Kevin DeYoung, and, and this is what it looks like. So on the left side there, it's, it's talking about this very verse, right? The, the, disciples, the disciples misunderstood the kingdom. They misunderstood the nature of the kingdom, the domain, the timing of the kingdom. They're thinking in, in earthly, political, uh, political ways rather than, than heavenly and spiritual ways. So anyway, I think this book, for some of you, maybe not all of you, but for some of you, it could be really helpful as it just goes through all of the passages. Uh, it's really easy to, to find and order online. We don't have any here, but, but you can easily connect with that. But um, it, it's one of those moments that as a reader, we're reading this question, like, when, when are you going to restore the kingdom? And, and we can understand that they're, they're thinking, oh, it's, it's going to be this political uprising, or maybe Jesus is going to lead like this military coup. And it's a moment where we can be tempted to think, how did they not get it? But we, we've got to remember that when we're reading Scripture, right, when we're reading about the Israelites, so often when we're reading about the disciples, it's like we're looking into a mirror. Because how often am I distracted by the physical world and just totally miss the kingdom of God? Right? We're just as likely to put our hope in politics as, as the disciples were in thinking that Jesus was going to politically rule. So Jesus' answer is twofold. Right? He says the time, the seasons, that's the Father's business. Right? It's determined by the Father. Right? That's over your pay grade. And then the second part of the answer is in verse 8. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. So the timing isn't going to be as quickly as they thought, right? Jesus' return wasn't going to be, or the, the kingdom wouldn't be restored as imminently as they thought because the scope of the mission, there's no way. He says, you're going to be my witnesses. And I imagine it like concentric rings moving out from the center, starting in Jerusalem, which we'll see this in chapters 1 through 7. And then outside of Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, chapters 8 through 11. And they'll keep going, chapters, chapters 12 through 28, the ends of the earth. You're going to tell them, Jesus says, everything that I've done. You're going to tell them that, that I came in the flesh to save them that I suffered and died for their sin, that I rose from the dead. You're going to tell them that you saw me. You're going to, you're going to teach them the things I taught you. You're, you're going to go. You're going to go and be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. You aren't going to stop until every nation has heard. My people need to tell the world the good news. So the mission is global. And yes, these followers had learned from Jesus himself. But remember, just a little over a month before, right, they, they had all fled. And we would have too, right? We would have hid. Peter denies Jesus three times. And now Jesus, who's about to physically leave them, is, is giving them the task to tell the world about him. Well, how in the, how in the world could that work out? On the top of verse 8 is what tells us they'll receive power to accomplish the task of being a witness to the world. They'll receive power because God is giving them the Holy Spirit. Right? They'll have the power of God's presence in their lives. This is the story of Jesus' continued work by the power of the Holy Spirit in his witnesses, just as God had always planned. And the witness 
is to be an ever-expanding witness, right? They weren't just going to stay in Jerusalem with their people or even just a little bit further out, right? This wasn't a witness just to the Israelites. This was a message to everyone, to Jews and Gentiles. Gentiles, if you don't know, it's, it's just non-Jewish people. So me, I'm, I'm guessing you. We read back in Isaiah 49.6, God says of his servant, you'll be a light to the Gentiles. At the ends of the earth, we're going to hear the good news. And this is the task given to the apostles, but this is, this is for every believer. And I know that this is probably one of the top two guilt-inducing things that we talk about as Christians. Right? Why do I not witness? Why do I not read my Bible? I'm excited for us to spend time in this book. I'm not sure exactly how long we'll be in it. It's going to be close to a year. We, we might even take a short break in the middle. But I'm excited for us to have a look at the witness of the earliest Christians, right? And to, to deal with the, the uncomfortable realization that I think they're sold out for Jesus in a way that's, that's, that's different than what we call Christianity. And we're going to have to, we're going to, have to deal with that. I really appreciate what you said, Renee, uh, that we need to speak up. And I know you're talking about a very specific issue, but, but we need to speak up about what we know about God, about the gospel. But it's as if uh, we, uh, American Christians, it's as if we have spiritual laryngitis. Right? Jesus is supposedly the most important thing about us, but we've bought in to what the world has told us, right? that, that we need to keep our mouths shut, that we're being disrespectful, if we talk about something that disagrees with their worldview, we need to find ways, we need to find opportunities to tell the world about Jesus. We need to speak of what we know. We need to tell our neighbors, our coworkers, our families that Jesus is alive. We need to tell them about the forgiveness that, that we know experientially. We need to talk about the, the grace of God, the great love that God has for the world. And yes, there are going to be people that ignore us, there are going to be people that, that flat out reject us, tell us to go away, maybe call us names. But there will be some that won't do that. There are going to be some that want to know more. There are going to be some that will surprise you and, and take you up on reading the Bible with you. Or, or maybe, maybe at some point coming to church with you. There are going to be some that will be ready to hear, not because you said it in the best way, but because God is present. Because God's spirit is at work in you and has been working in them longer than you realized. And by the power of the spirit, your witness will be used for them to hear the gospel and to respond in faith. I hope as a church uh, that we, we grow. Certainly spiritually, I hope that our, our roots grow deep, that, that we grow in becoming mature in Christ. I also hope that we grow numerically, but, but I don't want to grow numerically because someone moved here. And, and to all the California transplants, I'm glad you're here. I'm not saying that, right? It's good. It's good to be home finally. You didn't know it. But I hope, I hope that we grow even more so because people are responding to the gospel. Because we're telling people about Jesus. And some of them, some of them say, yes, I want Jesus to be Lord. Is that where our hearts and minds are? Are we praying for opportunities? Are we asking the Spirit right, to fill us, to be his witness, to give us opportunities to speak about Jesus, to not just give us opportunities, but give us the courage to take those opportunities, 
That's, that's what my prayer tag in the back there is about. There's two neighbors specifically. Um, I just, uh, a couple weeks ago, like I, I was walking near them, so we decided to walk together, and, and, and I was praying the whole time, like, help me talk about you, God. Like, I want to tell them about you, Jesus. And I tried to steer the conversation. I mean, we talked a little bit about God, but it didn't go like I wanted it to. And I, I'd love to just tell you, like, yeah, every time I see him, it's that way. No. Most of the time when I see him, I've got my own schedule in mind. I'm thinking about the next thing I need to do, right? Or I'm I'm wrapped up in in my own little problem, and I don't even think about them needing Jesus. So that's why why I wrote it on the prayer card. I'm like, Lord, help me. Help me to have eyes for them. Help Help me to take opportunities to talk about you, Jesus. We soften their hearts. Verse 9, it says, When he said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. They saw him ascend. God lifted him up. And then the two in white robes said, Stop staring at the sky. You got a mission. Jesus has told you what to do. He'll come back. In the same way you saw him go. And I think they understood then, or, or maybe, maybe it took a little while, but they came to understand that before Jesus would return, the nations needed to hear, the world needed to hear. Christ's followers had a mission to tell the world the good news to the ends of the earth. Right? The, 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 nations, uh, the nations needed to hear. Jesus' work was continuing by the power of the Holy Spirit in his witnesses. Uh, maybe some of you already started reading Acts. I don't know if you've gotten to the end yet, or maybe you just remember the end of the book of Acts. It's, uh, it it's kind of terrible. It's maybe the worst ending of any book in the Bible, and that's because there really is no ending. It, trust me, go there today and, and read it, and you'll see what I'm saying. It doesn't end. It doesn't feel anything like an, an ending, and the speculation is, and I think people are probably right, that, that it's because the story isn't over, right? Because people still have a mission. So it's actually a brilliant ending to the book. The, the ends of the earth still need to be reached. There are still people that haven't heard the gospel. So I'm eager for us to get into this book. Let's pray together. Jesus, I thank you for your word. I thank you that, that you've, that you gave us Luke to write this this book to us, Lord. I don't know if Theophilus funded it or not, but if he did, I thank you that, that he made an investment that 2,000 years later, like we're reaping the benefits from. God, I pray that this book would, would impact us. I just I pray that, that a year from now, we'd be different, individually and collectively. God, that, 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 that we would we'd be a people that just passionately burn for you, for you to be glorified, for, for people to, to hear the gospel, for people, at least some, to respond to the good news, Jesus. God, don't let us just read this book and, and, and think about how great the early church was. God, transform us, Lord. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.